www.heartradio.com. It is Thursday, the 22nd of June, the Feast of Saints Thomas More and John Fisher. Let's pray Thomas More's prayer for good humor. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Grant me, O Lord, good digestion and also something to digest. Grant me a healthy body and the necessary good humor to maintain it. Grant me a simple soul that knows to treasure all that is good and that doesn't frighten easily at the sight of evil but rather finds the means to put things back in their place. Give me a soul that knows not boredom, grumblings, sighs, and laments, nor excess of stress because of that obstructing thing called I. Grant me, O Lord, a sense of good humor. Allow me the grace to be able to take a joke, to discover in life a bit of joy, and to be able to share it with others. Amen. St. Thomas More, pray for us. St. John Fisher, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here on this Thursday, the 22nd of June. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ackman at the controls. So much to talk about today. Father Robert Nixon will talk about the stars and flowers and jewels that are representative representative of Our Lady. And today we get to talk about the sun. Well, I don't know about you. I can't see the sun from my window, so it'll be good to talk about it today with Father Nixon. Stephanie Mann will talk about Blessed Sebastian Newdigate, one of the English martyrs uh, that is in the tradition of Thomas More and John Fisher. Mike Aquilina along from fathersofthechurch.com, and Kevin Prendergast has an interesting topic today. Maybe you have a, uh, I don't know, I think the word that he uses is prickly personality. How can you, uh, I guess, purpose that to the good? as it were. How can you use that disposition that maybe is natural to you to accomplish good things and maybe to strive towards sanctity? So stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The U.S. bishops are kicking off Religious Freedom Week on this feast of Saints Thomas More and John Fisher today. The bishops this week will be highlighting issues of concern at both the national and state levels. They said, quote, domestically, a major area of concern continues to be freedom for Catholic institutions such as schools, hospitals and child welfare service providers to carry out their missions with integrity. They say in particular, the bishops are concerned about Catholic health care as the Biden administration proposed a cascade of changes to federal regulations over the past year that remove conscience protections from healthcare institutions and individuals, end quote. The bishops are calling on the faithful to prayer, education, and public action. A new poll is showing an increase of Americans, apparently, who believe a person's gender should be determined based on their biological sex. Mark Mayfield reports. The poll was conducted by NPR, PBS NewsHour, and Marist. It says 61% of Americans define gender as the sex listed on a person's original birth certificate and is the only way to define if someone is a male or female. That's up over 10% from last year. I'm Mark Mayfield. Meanwhile, Democrats in Congress are reintroducing the so-called Equality Act. 
that they say is to protect LGBTQ people from discrimination. The legislation comes as several states in the past year have passed bills that Democrats are claiming target that community, including Florida's parental rights bill. The Equality Act would expand federal civil rights to, they say, stop discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Math and reading scores among 13-year-olds are down. New test scores released Wednesday by the National Assessment of Educational Progress show math scores are at their lowest since 1990 and reading scores are at their lowest since 2004. The decline in math scores was the biggest since federal testing began in 1973. The National Center for Education Statistics said the academic recovery it had hoped to see in the more than two years since the return to in-person learning has not materialized yet. Bishops in the English-speaking parts of the world are welcoming the recently released working document for the upcoming October Assembly on in the Synod on Synodality. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Bishops from Australia, Canada, and the United States were among the many groups that welcomed the publication on Tuesday of the Instrumentum Laboris for the General Assembly of the Synod, which begins in its first session in October 2023. The publication of the working document was welcomed in the United States by Bishop Daniel Flores of Brownsville, Texas, who's been shepherding the synodal process in the U.S. The Instrumentum Laboris presents the people of God with a remarkable opportunity, he said, to reflect on what we have learned thus far about the nature of a synodal church and how we might embrace that more fully. He encouraged everyone to read, pray, and to discuss this important document in light of the insights gained from previous stages in the synodal process. Archbishop Timothy Costello, the president of the Australian Bishops' Conference, noted that the publication of the Instrumentum Laboris is an enormously significant milestone in the synodal process. It represents both an invitation and an opportunity, he said, to remain engaged in prayer, reflection, and ongoing discernment with all that has emerged so far in what has been an unprecedented worldwide consultation. In a statement welcoming the publication of the Instrumentum Laboris, the bishops of Canada noted that the document is presented as a tool for discernment rather than as a position statement or a solution to particular questions. They invited all Catholics to pray for the success of the Synod, so that by listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the followers of Christ would be led to glorify the Father of us all. I'm Christopher Wells. The U.S. Coast Guard is predicting that the oxygen supply on the missing vessel used to explore the Titanic will be running out in a matter of hours. Search efforts have been intensifying since Sunday when the submersible carrying five people disappeared. Officials say at least 10 search assets will soon be on the scene about 900 miles off the coast of Cape Cod. The focus is on an area where Canadian aircraft recently detected underwater noises. And one team has locked up its spot in the College World Series championship. The second-seeded Florida Gators scored a ninth-inning run to take down TCU 3-2 in the semifinals in Omaha yesterday. The Gators are back in the championship series for the first time since winning the national title back in 2017. Meanwhile, fifth-seeded LSU stayed alive with a 5-2 win over top-seeded Wake Forest in game one of their semifinal series 
The teams will go head-to-head in a win-or-go-home matchup tonight for a spot in the championship. Well, congratulations. Yeah, so that means that TCU beat Oral Roberts right. at some point. Yes. I haven't been I haven't been as might have been Tuesday night. Yeah. I've been a little busy this week. Yeah. I know you so, have. Reading Instrumentum Laboris's and stuff and taping some Journey Home episodes oh, yesterday I was and thinking, Wednesday. That was fun. I was thinking from hanging out at your house. Yeah, exactly. That was the most been a lot exhausting of things part of your whole trip, I'm sure. Yes, hanging out at your house is very exhausting. You know, hanging out with friends that I never get to see, you know, just so tiresome. I know, right? It's so tiresome. <laughs> no, it's great. It is great. So you're back home now? You. I'm back home. Back home? I'm feeling back home. good? I know I probably sound like I'm Thanks in the same place that I was up. all week, but yeah, I did uh, I did indeed wake up today. I'm impressed. Oh, actually, I'm in the process of waking up, but we'll work it out. I know. Well, we'll I mean, out. aren't we all? We're aren't all we in this together. Why well, do you think I prayed that Thomas More prayer for good humor <laughs> at the top of the hour? I know, Need man. a little good humor. I and the good you. humor man, if he could stop by my house at some point Ooh. during the course of the show, I'd appreciate yeah, that, that as well. Yeah, that sounds nice. Good call. Good call. Well, today is Thursday, June the 22nd, the feast of St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher, two of the heroes, two of the martyrs of the English Reformation. Pray for us. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Robert Nixon. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We have been going through one of those books, Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Eddie. It's good to have you back. And today we are looking at the 14th place in the crown in which St. Ildefonsus decides to place the sun, which I think we all should remember is a star. (laughs) So this is very much in line with what we have been going through um, all of this time in the crown. Absolutely, because there's a number of gemstones, a number of flowers, and a number of, of stars. But even within knowing that conceptual scheme, you know, to, to imagine placing the sun in someone's crown is is a pretty dramatic, uh, very difficult thing to imagine, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a, such a powerful, powerful image, you know, and um, to, to, to even contemplate it, I think, uh, fills one with a, a sense of his, the magnitude of his devotion and also of the splendor which he perceives in the Blessed Virgin Mary. Absolutely. So take us through why he uh, specifically chooses the sun to be placed in her crown. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, he begins by talking about um, how, like the sun, the sun possesses the highest position in the celestial sphere um, and it brings forth the greatest fertility from the earth and he compares this to to mary because she says he says that your immaculate heart is raised up to the uppermost rank in the seraphic courts closest to the inaccessible light of the unseen father then he talks also about the sureness of motion of the sun so of course the sun follows a a, a regular path i mean it it always does the same thing traverses the same earth the same path across the earth with the utmost sureness. And he says about Mary, like the sun, you traverse the earthly globe, attentively beholding the needs of the poor, 
the anxious sighs of youth, the pains of the elderly, the lamentations of the widows, the sufferings of the sick, forth to you. And if you think about what the sun, it passes over everything. There's not one single uh, human being uh, whom it misses. And in the same way, uh, every single human situation is visible to the Virgin Mary. She's present to them all in the same way that the sun, universally present to the human race. And finally, he talks about the, this power of the sun, the warming power of the sun, causing the earth to flourish um, to bring forth fruitfulness and verdancy. And he says to her, who is able to moisten the dry heart like you? Or who is able so to warm the mind frozen with despair or cynicism? All the good things which God's supreme majesty has decreed to bestow on us, he has decreed to bestow through your intercession and agency. How many are the former thieves you have led to repentance? How many of the reformed prostitutes you have converted to chastity? How many of the avaricious have you made generous? And to how many drunkards have you taught sobriety? And, and you know, he explains how it's the grace of God coming through the Virgin Mary, coming through her, her radiance and brilliance and power to warm the heart that brings forth this fruit of, of virtue from all the souls who truly encounter her. In the same way that the sun brings forth the, the growth and the fruitfulness of the earth. Yeah, that was something that really stood out to me in in this particular chapter on the sun. It it reminded me of what we hear in scripture that the sun rises on on the good and and the evil alike. Indeed. And I mean that was uh, was our gospel uh, at, at Mass from just a couple of days ago. And to think about this, that the Virgin Mary shines her grace and mercy both on the good and and the evil, or I don't want to say evil, but maybe people who the should be good yeah. but somehow have fallen away from it, you sure. know what I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, that we all, we all have the potential to be good. That's how God made us. But um, that, that, yeah, and that, I mean, she's called the refuge of sinners for good reason because she shows this maternal mercy and compassion and then this grace which is the very first step to conversion if you think about um, the way a mother treats uh, her child if the child has done something very wrong um, and apologizes the mother is still there with love and mercy of course and it's exactly the same with the virgin mary no matter what situation of sinfulness or despair someone might be in they can always turn to her to find refuge, and and in in turning to her, in fact, they're gaining merit and favor with God because she is the mother of God. So to show her love and respect and honor is uh, what pleases God more than anything else. Yeah, and one other thing that stood out to me that I'm hoping you can reflect on before we let you go, Father, is um, I was again thinking of scripture and in in the first chapter of john when we hear that the light shines in the darkness but the darkness did not i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do it word for word but the the dark basically that the darkness was was scared of the light and and we see that too yeah. and he talks about how evil flees from the light yeah he, indeed and you know it has to do this because if you think about what is darkness darkness is actually not a thing in itself it, the absence of light yeah. and um, in the same way 
um, evil and sin, it's not like a positive entity, but it's the absence of the good. And therefore, when confronted with this positive entity, with the good or with light, then sin or darkness instantly flees. It can't stand up to it because it's fundamentally nothingness. And nothingness, you know, gives way before before the splendor of the light. So, um, you know, just I think that's a wonderful analogy that when the light appears, the darkness is no more. If there's ever a battle between darkness and light, of course, light is, is sure to win because darkness is not actually a force. And the same with good and evil, with grace and with sin, that grace will overcome any sin as long as we're open to it. And, you know, uh, Jesus Christ, the Virgin Mary are just wanting nothing more than their grace. So beautifully put. We've been talking to Father Robert Nixon about Crown of the Virgin, which you can find linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you. Thank you very much, Eddie. God bless you. You too. Thank you. All right. We got headlines coming up next. It's 17 past here on the Sunrise Morning Show. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption. Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. Now there's a fast and easy way to get in touch with EWTN. The EWTN Everything Number. Call 1-800-447-EWTN to get the latest information on programming, special events, pilgrimages, and more. You can even make a donation. Our EWTN Family Viewer Services representatives are ready to help you with whatever your needs may be. The EWTN Everything Number. 1-800-447-EWTN. EWTN. 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The U.S. bishops are kicking off Religious Freedom Week on this feast of Saints Thomas More and John Fisher. Hunter Biden is scheduled to appear in a Delaware courthouse next month to plead guilty to two tax misdemeanors as part of a plea agreement. And a new report out of Barcelona shows the Catholic Church currently involved in eight negotiations for peace. And Matt, I'm just looking at um, the Vatican press release from the dicastery for the causes of saints. 
Uh oh, do we got news? Heroic Virtue announced oh. for Servant of God, Mary Lang. What? Yeah. As in Mother Mary Lang of Baltimore? Indeed. Whoa. That is awesome news. It is awesome news. That means uh, we can start. She's well, my neighbor. Not that we couldn't be praying through her intercession any before, but um, yeah, she's wow. now. That is pretty cool. She's now a step further in the cause. So, Mother Mary. We already got a school named after her in Baltimore. Oh, so really? They might have to change some signs. She is servant so. of God, Mary Lang. Well, congratulations to uh, anybody connected. Or I guess with that, that makes her a situation. venerable. I guess she's venerable, Mary Lang. Now, she was well, already she servant of God. Right, because they opened the cause, and then she's... right. So I think I and think that makes her now venerable, Mary Lang. There you go. So we need some miracles. Yep. So anybody, anybody who needs a miracle, add add uh, servant of God, Mary Lang, to your list. Pray for us. Twenty one past. Taste tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. By underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. An act of love. Lord, teach me to love you as you deserve. Teach me to love you above all else. You created me to glorify you, and I glorify you by reflecting your image and likeness ever more fully. I glorify you not by my own might and striving apart from you, but by my humility, by my receptivity to your light, and by my response to your love. I love you because you are entirely good. It is you who enkindle my soul, who stir my will into act by giving me your own spirit of love. I want nothing but you, no love but yours to reign in my heart. Be my supreme love, my very love, that I may live in you and you in me. Nothing but you, Lord. I want to be filled with you, to see you, to taste and to know and delight in you alone. Not for my pleasure, but for your glory, now and forever. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Stephanie Mann. Go read her blog over at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. It's named after her book, Supremacy and Survival. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning, Anna. We are uh, we are looking today at Father Bowden's memento on Blessed Sebastian Newdigate, one of the Carthusian martyrs who died on June 19th, 
1535. Father Bowden entitles this memento The Whims of a King, which is an interesting yes. title. But first, who was Sebastian Newdigate? Sebastian Newdigate was a member of a very important Catholic, uh, I mean, English family. In fact, his sister was the grandmother of one of uh, Queen Catherine of Aragon's favorite courtiers, a, hmm. a lady in waiting. But he had, there's some indication he may have been married, but in any case, he'd been a courtier in the court of Henry VIII and been very, I mean, close to Henry VIII. I don't know if you'd really say a king has friends, but seemed to be have a friend in Henry VIII. And then he decided to become a monk and not only become a monk, but a Carthusian hmm. and with that, you know, very strict almost hermetical type of of life and in fact his sister jane went at one point to the superior uh, at at the charter house in london and said i don't know if my brother can really do this but nevertheless he persisted in his vocation and he was, he was ordained a a, a a priest and then he is one of the he's the second round of carthusians who when they were presented with the oath of supremacy saying that henry the eighth was the head and governor supreme governor of the church in england he could not sign it he had actually signed the oath of succession saying that henry had changed the succession by uh, divorcing one wife and marrying another but he could not take this oath and so he and, and just like the three carthusians before him the proto-martyrs of the order and uh Humphrey Middlemore, I love these names, Humphrey yes. Middlemore and William X. Mew were both, all three arrested, uh, questioned, placed in prison, and they were placed in prison so that they were standing against pillars tied up and could not move until they came to trial and wow. were questioned again. And, and each, each time they were questioned, they said they just could not swear this oath. And so finally, the drama of this scene is that Henry VIII uh, his old boss comes to see Father Sebastian Newdigate in prison while he's uh, tied to a pole, wow. uh, tied to a pillar and uh, unable to move and starts trying to bribe him and threaten him. I don't know what more he could threaten him with, but bribe or threaten him, try to coerce him to go ahead, take the oath, do what everyone else is doing and just go along. And that's the dialogue that, that Father Bowden provides for us is, I think, the, the heart of this uh, story and the heart of it for us as, as Catholics and as Christians living in a world that tells us often, just go along and, yeah. and don't don't raise a fuss. Absolutely. I mean, it is an interesting question that, that Henry poses to him that, that would bring up a, a real crisis for a priest who is, you know, tied to a pole and facing martyrdom. I mean, wow. Whether this is a violation of the faith to just say, sure, he's the head of the Church of England. I mean, certainly, the, and Henry brings this up, right? Many saved their necks by by doing just that, by just going along. So why did Father Newdigate and his confreres not go that route? Right. Because what Henry VIII really kind of hits at is you're saying that you're better than anybody else. You're trying to tell me that you're holier, you're better, you're you're uh, the rest of us, including me, the king, right. <laughs> who have uh, taken this path. And 
uh, so are you just doing this out of pride? Are you just doing it, you know, because you want to show that you're better than everyone else? And that's where Sebastian Newdigate, I think, answers him so so correctly because he says, I'm not judging anyone else. First, he says, I'm not judging everyone else. And these are kind of things that you see. Thomas More said these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, other of the uh, these early martyrs said, I'm not judging anybody else. I'm not judging their consciences. I'm not telling them what they should do. And I've never told anyone what they should do. But I know that what I am standing up for tied to a pillar is the what Catholics and Christians have believed through the centuries. And that is, of course, that the Pope is the vicar of Christ. He's the head of the church in, on earth, uh, the descendant successor of Peter named by Jesus to be the, the rock of the church. And I cannot change just because something that you said should change my mind. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. I'm just saying I have my conscience. I know what the church has taught through the ages and I can't, I'm not going to change for the sake of saving my life or getting some new preferment from you. Why would you think a Carthusian would want a preferment? You have to yeah. ask, you know, what does Henry VIII think he's going to offer a man who has already been dedicated to a life of solitude and prayer in a monastic setting? What what can you offer him? Uh, meat for dinner when yeah. they don't eat meat? You know, it's it really is amazing what, what they were trying to do, what Henry VIII and his, his uh, minions were trying to do to persuade these men and some women probably to just take the oath just uh, go along with everyone else and i think that what i in 1910 when uh, father bowden was writing this and this so it's true for us today i think he was trying to speak to those catholics in england who would still face those kind of questions why are you different than everybody else why do you, do you think you're better yeah. just because you have a different view and I think Sebastian Newdigate really answered that question pretty clearly. And then, of course, Henry VIII went away disappointed. Sebastian Newdigate on June 19th in 1535 went to his eternal reward through martyrdom. May he pray for us. Thank you so much, Stephanie Mann. Gosh, hearing these stories, they're just so incredible. You can find more of that in... Uh, the book Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors from Sophia Institute Press. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The U.S. bishops are kicking off Religious Freedom Week on this feast of Saints Thomas More and John Fisher. The bishops in the next week will be highlighting issues of concern both at the national and state level. They said domestically a major area of concern continues to be freedom for Catholic institutions such as schools, hospitals, and child welfare service providers to carry out their missions with integrity. In particular, they say the bishops are concerned about Catholic health care as the Biden administration proposed a cascade of changes to federal regulations over the past year that remove conscience protections from health care institutions and individuals. Bishops are also calling attention to international religious freedom violations most especially in Nicaragua and in Nigeria. The Dicastery for the Causes of Saints has announced that Pope Francis has signed off on a decree of heroic virtue for Mother Mary Lang. With the promulgation of this decree, she's now known as Venerable Mary Lang. Mother Lang founded the Oblate Sisters of Providence in Baltimore in 1829, the first United States-based religious order of women of color. 
the next step in her cause would come if and when a verifiable miracle is attributed to her intercession, which would lead to her beatification. Hunter Biden is scheduled to appear in a Delaware courthouse next month to plead guilty to two tax misdemeanors as part of a plea agreement. Brian Shook has more. The president's son is also expected to admit to illegally possessing a gun in 2018, and that charge will likely be dismissed if he meets certain conditions. His pleas are scheduled to be entered July 26th in front of a U.S. district judge who must then approve the agreement terms. The tax charges stem from his failure to timely file and pay taxes in 2017 and 2018. Reports say prosecutors plan to recommend a sentence of probation on those counts. I'm Brian Shook. A new high number of voters say they will only support a candidate who shares their views on abortion. A Gallup poll suggests it's the issue's intensifying importance one year since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. This year's 28 percent is one point higher than last year, but is the most since Gallup began asking the question in the 1990s. Another 56% of voters said abortion opinions do matter but are only one of many factors when selecting a candidate. The poll also shows a record low number of voters saying a candidate's position on abortion does not matter to them, only 14%. A new report out from UNICEF shows that the ongoing financial crisis in Lebanon is having a major detrimental effect on children. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tullock reports. According to the report from UNICEF, almost 9 in 10 Lebanese households cannot afford essential items, up from 75% a year ago. Nearly a third of families say that at least one of their children goes to bed hungry, and half of women and girls say that they do not have adequate access to female hygiene items. Moreover, more than 1 in 10 families report sending their children out to work as a way to make extra money. This figure rises to more than a quarter among Syrian refugees. 66% of caregivers, meanwhile, say that their children are anxious, nervous or worried and almost half report that their children are very sad or depressed every week. Relationships within families are also suffering. More than half of caregivers say that the current crisis has made them less patient with their children and more likely to treat them harshly, noting that the current situation is having a dramatic, irreversible and long-term impact on children's lives. The UNICEF report calls for swift, determined action from the Lebanese government. Stressing that 700,000 children are currently out of school, the report says that education should be a priority area for the state. The Vatican has repeatedly emphasized the importance of Lebanon, which is the country in the Middle East with the largest percentage of Christians and often regarded as a model of harmonious coexistence between different faiths. Both Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI visited the country, and Pope Francis has met multiple times with Lebanese politicians in Rome and organized a high-profile ecumenical prayer meeting for the country. In 1989, Pope John Paul II famously declared that Lebanon is, quote, more than a country. It is a message of freedom and an example of pluralism for the East as well as for the West. Pope Francis has echoed this sentiment, expressing his hope that the crisis will not lead Lebanon to, quote, lose its identity nor the experience of fraternal coexistence that has made it a message for the whole world. I'm Joseph Tullock. In a new report from the Autonomous University of Barcelona shows the Catholic Church currently involved in eight out of 39 negotiations for peace worldwide. It's 35 past the hour. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. 
when you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. The truly patient person bears up equally under ignominious tribulations and those that are honorable, to be despised, criticized, or accused by evil men is something that a courageous man does not mind. But it takes a lot of virtue to accept being criticized and badly treated by good people, by our relatives and friends. I have often said that he who is not humble is not chaste. I say this because God is accustomed to allow the proud to fall into the most heinous sins, to teach them a lesson, and to correct spiritual pride. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Mike Aquilina from FathersOfTheChurch.com. He's got a number of books. He also writes for AngelusNews.com. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. So, plagues and pandemics, uh, obviously a little too fresh in the minds of, of all of us, based on how things have gone over the past few years, uh, not just in our country, but around the world. Not a new phenomenon in the life of the Church, and you recently wrote about St. Dennis and his experience of a whole bunch of things, <laughs> including a plague. Uh, if you could kind of set the historical stage for us. Well, uh, it was it was around the middle of the third century. Uh, we're talking, you know, around the years 250. He became bishop shortly before that. Um, and uh, and and the world was suffering a lot of things simultaneously. Uh uh, the, the the empire was and the the climate was i mean there there was there was a pandemic going on we're not sure what the disease was but you know if if we look at today's numbers it killed so many people that today if the if the proportion was the same uh it would be more than two and a half billion people that were killed today you know i mean it just it just wiped out a large portion of the population of the earth um uh, so pandemic and there was war going on, you know, there were there were great disruptions, barbarians trying to, to, to get into the empire at the um, at the at the borders. Uh, there was economic collapse as a result of these things. And, and there was persecution. The crops were failing. So, uh, you know, the, the other big thing was climate change. There was a there was a, um, uh, you know, somewhere there was a volcanic explosion, you know, an eruption that uh, that darkened the earth for some time. And as a result, the uh, the crops were failing all over the place. And uh, and and they were dealing with the uh, with the fallout for that for a long time. So all these things were happening on the earth. And poor Dennis 
is made Bishop of Alexandria, a major city in the world and certainly one of the most influential cities in the church. And he must have thought the world was coming to an end because all the signs were there. Everything was falling apart. Well, that sounds like a hot mess. And we've got pieces (laughs) of that going on uh, in, in our world today and, you know, going on worse in some parts of the world than others. But how does St. Denis rise to leadership and ultimately sanctity in the middle of all this? Well, I think the sanctity, uh, in a sense, comes first. You know, you're seeking that. And he was a man of deep prayer. He was a man of deep learning as well. And he was he was already revered by the time, you know, he was made bishop. Uh, he had been running the catechetical school in Alexandria. So he, he knew the city very well. He knew, its, its, uh, the, he knew the church. He knew its people. Um, and in a sense, he was ready for it. Uh, Alexandria really got the first of the the wave of persecutions that took place in the middle of the third century uh, because suddenly there was this eruption of mob violence against Christians at that time. Uh, Christians tended to get blamed for things, right? If there was, if there were economic problems, well, it's because Christians were upsetting things. Christians were telling people not to do this and not to do that, so our economy is falling apart. Christians aren't spending their money the way they should. These all these immoral activities, or you know, Christians were not offering sacrifice to the gods, and so the gods were angry, and they were sending plague and pestilence and and failure of the crops. All of these things were the fault of Christians. Well, there you know began to be these these uh, uh, lynch mobs. Really, they went after the Christians, and they and and Christians uh, Christians were beaten, Christians were killed, and then it kind of became official because the emperor Decius. Uh, took the throne, and all of these things were happening. And of course, the emperor is held accountable for everything. In one of the years of Dennis's uh, uh, bishopric, he, um, it, he, he witnessed uh, the, uh, the, the, the death of, of two different emperors at the hands of their soldiers, okay? So you have uh, emperors who are in these very vulnerable positions. They're being blamed for everything because the chief executive always always takes the blame. Well, Dacius decided to blame the Christians, and he visited upon the church this, um, this, this unprecedented uh, full-scale persecution where you had to offer sacrifice to the gods and show that you had done it by carrying around a little ticket in your pocket and uh and if you didn't have that ticket you could be killed and uh and it was devastating for the christians um so this is this is what's happening at that time the christians are being blamed for all of these horrible things that were happening but the christians were suffering those horrible things as much as anyone well it is a strange time in history to be sure but it's also a time that produced not just St. Denis, but a whole bunch of saints, many of whose names we don't even know. It's amazing how, you know, when I look through the martyrologies and, you know, sometimes, you know, you look at a a day on the calendar and there's like 30 saints for that day and you click on their name, you know, and it says, martyred in the persecutions of the Emperor Decius. No other information has survived. All we have is the name, right? And, And yet so many saints sprung up during this time. That's right. That's right. And he had to be the father to all of them. He had the beat to be the one who was encourage, encouraging. It, it's um, it's it's kind of a remarkable position. It, but he also stood as a witness, you know. And he he's the one who recorded a lot of these happenings. What we do know about those martyrdoms, we know largely because Dacius kept a record, and um, and he wrote letters to his people to encourage them, 
and the letters still survive. Now, what's remarkable about the letters is that they're, they're records of Christian charity. He describes what the Christians did for their neighbors, not only their Christian neighbors, but also their pagan neighbors. You know, the Christians showed charity, kindness, and even gave medical care during the epi epidemic to their persecutors. This was a remarkable thing. And 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 the great thing about his letters is that is that they're um they're they're sure to be honest because he could not have lied in those letters while it was all a very fresh memory because people would have just rolled their eyes and they would have said, Well, that's not true. We didn't act that way, or no one I knew acted that way, and the letters would not have been kept. But instead his letters have survived as great documents of what happened in that time period. The amazing thing is that, that, that the time of pandemic and all of these other disasters ended up being good for the church in the long run because, because the Christians had an extraordinary opportunity to show kindness on a grand scale, to, to give charity, the love of charity on a grand scale, to love their neighbors, love their persecutors, you know, and take care of them and help them through the epidemic. Now, many, many of their persecutors, I'm sure, died in the epidemic. But those who survived remembered the kindness, and that's what converted them. They thought, whatever those Christians had, I want a piece of that, because I don't have that kind of love in my life. And I think that that's always true, that these times of great strife, pandemic, war, economic collapse, climate change, persecution, they're always opportunities for great charity and great Christian witness. Well, I don't always say, but I always think, man, the world's in chaos, and everybody's at each other's throat. We should, like, throw everybody off with radical charity and make people, like, completely confused at our deal and want to know more. But, Anna Mitchell, I don't know if uh, we've talked about this I much love before. that idea. Yeah, like that. Everybody's <laughs> at each other's throat. Let's just confuse everybody. Let's by just being confuse everybody charitable. by being really, like, really, Wait, what do you really mean? nice. <laughs> Why are you being kind to me? Why are you being me? nice? <laughs> right. Not, not just nice, but kind. Yeah. charitable right yeah. virtuous towards me i don't exactly. understand but in the i mean mike has talked before about the work of sociologist rodney stark uh oh, yeah. the late rodney stark of baylor who has a book called the rise of christianity that i'd recommend to anybody rodney's not writing from a catholic perspective by the way but he talks about this uh situation involving the plagues where first of all when the plague sweeps through christians are more likely to survive because they take care of each other and sometimes these plagues all you got to do to survive one is have some chicken soup and uh, a bath mm -hmm. and, you know, some of that kind of yep. regular normal care. Whereas the Romans are like, oh, this guy's got a sniffle. I'm leaving town. Yeah. <laughs> right? They had abandoned their people. So the Christians were more likely to survive. That kind of boosted their numbers. And they were also more likely to take care of their pagan neighbors, which means those pagan neighbors are like, huh, you've confused me with your charity. Maybe I should consider your religion. Mm -hmm. And Christianity explodes in large part due to the plagues. Well, imagine that. Imagine that. That, you know. You don't have to imagine it, Anna Mitchell, because it happened. Because it happened. Exactly. That by the grace of God um, and through the grace of God, the numbers would explode even in a time when, you know, you would think that by and doing who, that kind of use? stuff, it would make them – it would make them decrease in numbers. I mean, yes, I just love it. And what did he use as an instrument of grace in those situations? Well, uh, people. something very complicated. Baptized people. Yeah. That's what he used as instruments of grace. <laughs> Pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast will join us next. Maybe you got a prickly personality and trying to figure out how you can use that to the good. 
We'll discuss. It's 13 till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. You know, I have never seen women who want to be equal absolutely degrading themselves. And yet the media degrades your nature, your beauty as a woman, your your goodness. Let us pray. At some point, our dear Lord touches their hearts. For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. Hi, this is Janet Williams. There's nothing like Women of Grace to explain the truth of our faith today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Grab that cup of coffee and let's go back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 11 till, here's Anna with headlines. The U.S. bishops are kicking off Religious Freedom Week today on this feast of St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher. The Catholic Church is currently involved in eight negotiations for peace around the world, according to a new report out of Barcelona. And the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints has announced Pope Francis has signed off on a decree of heroic virtue for now venerable Mother Mary Lang. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. We should talk more about Mary Lang later in the week we got a lot of thomas more and john fisher stuff today and even some paul linus of nola stuff because he's on the calendar too Mm -hmm. we need to be talking about mother mary lang in light of this news Uh, yes it's pretty cool pastoral counselor kevin prendergast now joining us a licensed counselor former seminary instructor as well kevin good morning hey good morning matt so there's some people out there who have uh well you've referred to them in your notes as prickly personalities <laughs> and it's easy to think well mm-hmm. there's no path to sanctity for that person but there are have been some saints right padre pio saint jerome i mean saint peter mm-hmm. himself who've had some prickly personalities so what are some ways to think about these things well first of all we all have uh, parts of our personality that are prickly so that's the theme today so if we're kind and give some grace to other people uh you know that helps us to work on our own 
uh, shortcomings, right? And so we could, you know, our listeners could think about the one or two people in your life who just uh, bug the heck out of you and try your patience and irritate you. And we all have those people, whether it's at work or in the family, sometimes our spouse. And the problem with our culture is that we are encouraged by all the media and Internet, you know, self-diagnosis, other diagnosis, to put a label on people. So I can't tell you the number of people who come in for counseling individually and they talk about their spouse. Well, he's a narcissistic, passive-aggressive psychopath who gaslights me, right? <laughs> Which are all like, that's all nonsense, right? It takes so, like 12 of you to <laughs> solve right there, Kevin. I mean, that's yeah, a lot well, of professional help. It's, well, it's impossible. So, so one thing that's happened in psychology in our diagnostic category over the last 10 or 15 years is getting away from the notion of having like a global personality disorder. And really, the prevalence studies are pretty clear consistently that only about one out of 10 people in the whole population has an actual personality disorder. So the chances that you are married to one of that 10% are pretty slim, right? Possible, but but do they have traits? So let's, you know, use some other words there, like narcissist comes up all the time. <clears throat> What's wrong with an old-fashioned word like selfish, uh, arrogant, uh, doesn't have much empathy? Okay, so to describe behaviors, but then, you know, the old expression, Matt, that we've used before here is that, uh, you know, if I spot it, I've got it. So maybe to think about it that way, that <clears throat> other people have traits, <clears throat> they probably don't have a full-blown personality disorder. <clears throat> and so when I'm tempted to label them, I might want to say a prayer and wash my mouth out, you know, the next time I do that. And instead, focus on, okay, what are the one or two things <clears throat> about them that really bug me? And is there anything that we could do to have a conversation, to work through that? Or do I have to accept it? And that's where prayer comes in. And if I realize, you know, when I look in the mirror, that I have sharp edges too. So here would be a more helpful way to look at it. There's a lot of parlor games like the Enneagram and some other things out there that I found to be kind of destructive in a family or a community. <clears throat> but there's a big model of personality. It's called the Big Five, and your listeners could find all kinds of things about that on the Internet. It's the most researched model. And there are these five personality traits, just real quick, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, introversion, agreeableness, emotional sensitivity. But those are all on a continuum or a spectrum. And so let's take one of those, like being conscientious and hardworking, paying attention to details, that conscientiousness is really a, a talent, and that helps us in a lot of ways. But what happens when that goes to extreme? So I become a perfectionist. I become kind of uh, obsessive. I try to manage other people because they're not as hardworking and conscientious as I am. Or another one, like, you know, one of the ones you think would not have any bad qualities, like being agreeable. Well, that's not a continuum, too. So do I have problems with, you know, I, I get along with people, I'm nice, but taken to an extreme, do I maybe not have really good boundaries and then I wind up being resentful of other people? I don't know how to have conflict. I don't know how to uh, compromise and work through things. So all of us have some of these traits, and they're nothing different from in our spiritual tradition. We could look at the seven deadly sins or the, the virtues and, you know, the negative parts of our spiritual life. So a takeaway from this, Matt, would be one, stop using derogatory labels of others. And when I'm tempted to do that, to say, well, what is it in this other person that I dislike that's also in myself? 
And one of the uh, a, a saint from the desert back in the 6th century, St. Dorotheus, had a really great quotation that came up in the breviary a few weeks ago. The person who thinks that he's quiet and peaceful has within him a passion that he doesn't see. So a brother comes up, utters some unkind word, and immediately all the venom and mire that lie within him are spewed out. What he should have done is he should have returned thanks to his brother instead of returning the injury because his brother or sister has proven to be an occasion of profit. So when I get irritated about somebody, first of all, rather than reacting and labeling that person and gossiping about them, maybe I need to take a step back and say, you know, what can I learn from that, right? Maybe I learned some patience and tolerance and love. Uh, Maybe I see that I also uh, am, you know, kind of nasty to other people or unkind and that's what I need to work on. Yeah, ask yourself where that came from, right? <laughs> Why is it that you're? What is it about me that caused me to react that way? But you, you mentioned the enneagram and the parlor trick, uh, you know, personality test games. Mm-hmm. I know Father Mitch Paqua has, uh, you know, plenty of objections he's voiced to the enneagram. I think Father right. Rochelle maybe yeah. even as well. But yeah, I mean, I think part so. of the part of the problem with mm-hmm. that is that it allows you to say, "Oh, I've figured this other person out, and mm-hmm. uh, I can now." Uh, package them in a nice little neat compartment and mm-hmm. and, and uh, I know what they are and it kind of I don't know it removes the effort of actually figuring out who that person actually is uh, yeah so, it's always better to look in the mirror right right indeed so, thank you Kevin Prendergast right. appreciate your time have a wonderful Take day care, Matt God bless All right. Well, we've got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up with lots of great stuff for many of you listening here on EWTN, including uh, a little catch up with Dr. John Bergsma, Rita Heikenfeld, Gary Machuda, and Joseph Pierce on Saints John Fisher and Thomas More. Hope to talk to a few of you after the break. It is three minutes till. Do radio.com. It is Thursday, the 22nd of June, the Feast of Saints John Fisher and Thomas More, also Paulinus of Nola. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lead the way, O Lord, our light. For those appointed to tasks of leadership, we pray that they may lead your people in the way of holiness. For those who lead the way with joy to the mountain of the Lord, we pray that they may be richly blessed. For those who have passed through the gates of death, that they may rejoice for all eternity. O God and giver of all good gifts, you cleanse us from stain of sin and make us pure of heart through your Son, Jesus Christ lead us to dwell with you in holiness in our everyday lives through constant growth in love for you and for all whose lives we touch through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Thomas More, pray for us. St. John Fisher, pray for us. St. Paulinus of Nola, pray for us. And since Anna Mitchell just mentioned in her news, and she'll elaborate in a moment, Mother Mary Lang of Baltimore declared, uh, got to her decree of heroic virtue, today. So, Venerable Mother Mary Lang, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news, uh, including that uh, cool story on Mother Mary Lang in just a little bit. Dr. John Bergsma continues our series on Love Basics Basics for Catholics. 
Rita Heikenfeld will look at how Jesus fed the 5,000, and you don't probably have to feed 5,000 this summer, but you may be feeding a crowd. So she's got some uh, thoughts on Jesus feeding the multitudes and how you can feed a uh, much smaller multitude at your summer celebrations. Gary Machuda continues our series on his book, Revolt Against Reality. Also, Joseph Pierce along. I mean, who else but Joseph Pierce would we want to have on to talk about Saints John Fisher and Thomas More on this, their feast day? I mean, we got some other good people who could talk about that, but Joseph Pierce, is, he's a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to that. Two minutes past the hour, news of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The U.S. bishops are kicking off Religious Freedom Week on this feast of Saints Thomas More and John Fisher. The bishops, over the course of the next week, will be highlighting issues of concern both at the national, state, and even international level. They say, quote, domestically, a major area of concern continues to be freedom for Catholic institutions such as schools, hospitals, and child welfare service providers to carry out their missions with integrity. In particular, the bishops are concerned about Catholic health care as the Biden administration proposed a cascade of changes to federal regulations over the past year that remove conscience protections from health care institutions and individuals, end quote. The bishops are calling on the faithful to pray, to educate themselves, and to take action. A new poll is showing an increase of Americans who say they believe a person's gender should be determined based on their biological sex. Mark Mayfield reports. The poll was conducted by NPR, PBS NewsHour, and Marist. It says 61% of Americans define gender as the sex listed on a person's original birth certificate and is the only way to define if someone is a male or female. That's up over 10% from last year. I'm Mark Mayfield. The clock is ticking in the search for a missing sub designed to explore the wreck of the Titanic. The search is focused on an area where a Canadian aircraft recently detected underwater noises about 900 miles off the coast of Cape Cod. The 21-foot deep-sea vessel with five people on board lost contact about an hour and 45 minutes after submerging on Sunday morning with a 96-hour oxygen supply. The oxygen has been forecast to run out this morning. The Catholic Church is currently involved in eight negotiations for peace around the world. That according to a new report from the Autonomous University of Barcelona, which studied multilateral efforts to end armed conflicts through peaceful means. Overall, there are 39 peace processes underway around the world. Vatican News reports the Catholic Church is involved in Cameroon, Mozambique, the Central African Republic, Democratic Republic of Congo, South Sudan, Colombia, and Haiti, as well as in Ukraine. Bishops in the English-speaking parts of the world are welcoming the recently released working document for the upcoming October Assembly of the Synod on Synodality. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Bishops from Australia, Canada, and the United States were among the many groups that welcomed the publication on Tuesday of the Instrumentum Laboris for the General Assembly of the Synod, which begins in its first session in October 2023. The publication of the working document was welcomed in the United States by Bishop Daniel Flores of Brownsville, Texas, who's been shepherding the synodal process in the U.S. The Instrumentum Laboris presents the people of God with a remarkable opportunity, he said, to reflect on what we have learned thus far about the nature of a synodal church and how we might embrace that more fully. 
He encouraged everyone to read, pray, and to discuss this important document in light of the insights gained from previous stages in the synodal process. Archbishop Timothy Costello, the president of the Australian Bishops' Conference, noted that the publication of the Instrumentum Laboris is an enormously significant milestone in the synodal process. It represents both an invitation and an opportunity, he said, to remain engaged in prayer, reflection, and ongoing discernment with all that has emerged so far in what has been an unprecedented worldwide consultation. In a statement welcoming the publication of the Instrumentum Laboris, the bishops of Canada noted that the document is presented as a tool for discernment rather than as a position statement or a solution to particular questions. They invited all Catholics to pray for the success of the Synod, so that by listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the followers of Christ would be led to glorify the Father of us all. I'm Christopher Wells. The biggest medical association in the U.S. no longer wants healthcare professionals to report pregnant women who abuse drugs. The American Medical Association now believes reporting will discourage pregnant women from getting help because they'll be afraid of going to jail or losing custody of the child. The AMA found non-punishable public health approaches result in better outcomes. The organization wants the women to be reported to Child Protective Services so they can help reduce the harm to the child. And the dicastery for the Causes of Saints has announced Pope Francis has signed off on a decree of heroic virtue for Mother Mary Lang. With the promulgation of this decree, she's now known as Venerable Mary Lang. Mother Lang founded the Oblate Sisters of Providence in Baltimore in 1829, the first U.S.-based religious order of women of color. The next step in her cause would come if and when a verifiable miracle is attributed to her intercession, which would lead to her beatification. Very exciting. Very exciting. So any of our listeners in Baltimore, congratulations to you all. Uh, and well, and congratulations to the entire American church. You know, there's a lot of people on that list. Uh, there's some uh, Sister Lucia news on that list as well. But uh, people have been following her for, for a good long while. And I kind of already thought she had gotten her decree of her own. Oh, you, so. you know what? I didn't even notice that. I'm just looking she's back at the bottom at of the, the list. She's at the bottom of the list. So I know a lot of people are pretty excited about that one. But when it comes to uh, the causes of saints and the canonization process, Anna Mitchell, it's like the Olympics for me. I want everybody to excel and get to the highest level possible. Well, absolutely. But I root Team USA. <laughs> so that's how I go. Mother Mary Lang, pray for us. But also, Sister Lucia, pray for us. us. That's so funny. I really like that. I didn't even notice Sister Lucia. You got so excited about Mother Mary Lang and an American on the list. I stopped at Mother Mary Lang. Always read the whole list. Always got to read the whole list. I was like, oh, man, I got to write a story right now. And I did, but then I didn't go back. This is what happens when Thanks, the Vatican Matt. does all its press releases. Like this, it, Literally, the moment we go on the air in the morning. I know. It's you noon just, Rome time. It's... It's scramble time for those of us in Catholic News right around yeah. this time every every morning. Well, anyway, Matt, thanks for the heads up. I'll add Sister Lucia to my news story. Love it. Well, today is Thursday, June the 22nd, the Feast of Saints Thomas More and John Fisher. And as Matt mentioned, Paulinus of Nola as well. Pray for us. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Bergsma. We have been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. 
So last time we were together, Doc, we got the backstory behind the courtship of Ruth and Boaz. Um, okay, so we've been introduced to Ruth and her mother-in-law. How do you pronounce her name? Naomi. Naomi. I would have said Naomi, but now, now my, now yeah. I mean, it's how Hebrew do we want to be in our pronunciation, or how American do we want to be? Well. But, I'm always yeah. about whatever is the proper way to pronounce. So now my, so we've 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 met Ruth and now my, who is Boaz? Boaz. Well, Boaz is a great guy, uh, and his name first of all means in him is strength. <laughs> Boaz. Mm. So as soon as he shows up, you're just like, yeah, this is going to be the dude. Okay. <laughs> so um, and he's not only you know so. You kind of, based on his name, you imagine he's kind of muscle-bound. And then he's wealthy, uh, because when he is introduced to us in Chapter 2, he's got many fields and land, so he owns a lot of property. So that's good. So he's going to be a good provider, strong. And, uh, and then the, the first thing that he says out of his mouth is the Lord. Okay, That's a good sign, too. First mm-hmm. thing recorded out of his mouth in Scripture the Lord uh, be with you, he says to his workers. So we could tell that he's um, a prayerful man. He's a godly man. And we find out that he is a relative of Ruth and Naomi. And that's good as well, because back in those days when a woman lost her husband, it was incumbent upon her male relatives uh, to marry her so that she could continue to have a place in the family and the prospect of having more children. So he's one of the candidates to marry Ruth. And all these things are good. Yes, sounds like it. So tell us about how Ruth meets Boaz. So in Israelite law, it was permissible for sojourners or the poor to go out and collect what grain they could pick up or glean, we call that, Uh, out of the fields to support themselves. And so Ruth goes out to do this, and she wanders just by chance, but of course it's by God's providence, into fields owned by Boaz. And she's working there, and she catches the eye of Boaz. Boaz inquires, who's this foreign woman, this young woman, and finds out that she has, of her own free will, come back uh, to take care of her mother-in-law. And he is so touched by that, because she was not obliged to do that. That was just out of, uh, you know, her love and charity for her mother-in-law. And so they have a little conversation, and uh, he commends her for her uh, virtue and her commitment. But he's also kind of clearly attracted to her, because he tells all his workers to treat her well and to give her extra food, and he invites her to lunch with himself and his workers, and you know, all this stuff. So it, there's, there's a little, you know, quiet sparks are flying at this part in the movie between uh, Ruth and Boaz and, you know, little smiles out of the corner of one's eye and all that good stuff. Well, certainly the fireworks get started pretty soon thereafter. I think it's important <laughs> to note, too, that this is taking place in Bethlehem. So just right. um, just to make sure that listeners have that noted. Now talk about the fireworks and how they get together. Okay, so, yeah, Chapter 3 is the scene that gives us the PG-13 rating uh, for this rom-com. Um, 
And uh, so a little bit edgy here. Um, Naomi, the mother-in-law, can tell that there are sparks between Ruth and Boaz, even though they're like, oh, no, it's just a friend. We're just friends. You know? <laughs> uh, so Naomi's like, okay, this is what you do, Ruth. Um, put on your little black dress and your pump heels and go snuggle up to him on the couch at this big party that he's throwing. Well, okay, not really, but uh, what's happening is we're having a um, – a, a harvest party at the threshing floor, which is mostly a male event that involves drinking and, you know, just good times and stuff. And, um, but again, Noam, I tell Ruth, go down there, wait till, you know, he's had plenty to drink and he lays down and then go snuggle up next to him and see what happens. And so Ruth actually does this. And in the middle of the night, Boaz wakes up and there's Ruth snuggled up next to him. And, <laughs> He says, who are you? And she says, well, I'm Ruth. Now, throw, your, throw the wing of your garment over your maidservant, for you are a goel, which is a Hebrew word meaning uh, a male relative who has the right to marry me. So she's basically saying, take me, I'm yours. And uh, mm-hmm. Boaz is like, what is going on here? So, um, but of course, he's, he's attracted to her. And there's an important thing here, Anna. In chapter 2, um, Boaz said, may the, may the Lord bless you under whose wings you have come to take refuge, the Lord God of Israel. And then in chapter 3 here, Ruth says, throw the wing of your garment over your maidservant. And so what we're seeing here is Boaz is the Lord's instrument of care and protection for Ruth. It's Boaz's wing is going to be the Lord's wing. Uh, to care for her. And so he says, uh, we're not going to do anything here on the threshing floor, but I will uh, set about marrying you in the proper way. And that's what takes place in the next chapter. He becomes her husband, provider, and protector, uh, the instrument of God's mercy toward her. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we we say this is the PG-13 part of, of the story, but Basically, she uncovers his feet and lays down at his feet. He finds her and does nothing in that moment except promise to marry her, protecting her reputation in the town of Bethlehem. Now, Ruth 4.13 says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Doc, who is that son? Yes, so this son is Obed, who's going to be an ancestor of David. And uh, they uh, observe the birth of the child, and they take the child and put it on the knees of Naomi, because Naomi here is given a descendant. You know, all her remember, all her menfolk died off. Right. And uh, so it provides for the sustenance of this family. And so there's life. There is love, there is family and community, and this is all because two virtuous people joined in holy matrimony. Love it. Love the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. We've been talking to Dr. John Bergsman. You can read more about it in Love Basics for Catholics, which is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Doc, thank you. Absolutely. Talk to you next time. Sounds good. All right, it's 17 past. We're back with headlines right after this. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. 
founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Do you use a single-brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This is Bernadette Bogusky, Executive Director of WCCR Cleveland, AM 1260 The Rock. Why do we need Catholic Radio? To reach the hearts, minds, and souls of those who are searching for deeper meaning and don't know where to turn. To bring clarity to a world full of lies and confusion. And to share the good news of joy and mercy with a world so desperate for the truth. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio. Now more than ever. 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The U.S. bishops are kicking off Religious Freedom Week on this feast of Saints Thomas More and John Fisher. A new poll is showing an increase in Americans who say they believe a person's gender should be determined based on their biological sex. And the Catholic Church currently involved in eight negotiations for peace around the world, according to a new report out of Barcelona. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Did you uh, figure out how to work Sister Lucy into the next newscast? Are you kidding? Of course. I want to make sure, you know, because there are some people out there who are uh, pretty strongly into the whole Fatima devotion. I just want to make sure that you didn't leave them out of the out of the conversation. No, but I'm wondering, how did you find out? Did you see it on Twitter or something? Or well, did you actually read the Italian press release? Well, I read the tweet from the uh, Di Castero delle Cose di Santi. Ah. You can follow the, you know you can follow the dicastery for the causes of saints on Twitter? Cool. It's at Cose Santi. So uh, I just read it. It's in Italian, but I I sort Sister of know what Lucia it means. Lucia di Fatima. Hashtag Fatima. Yeah. Yeah, it's right there. You can see it. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's super cool. You know, it's good to get up early in the morning and find good news. Absolutely. It's a lot more fun to read than, you know, bureaucratic documents first thing in the morning. It's 21 past. And for iced tea, if you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Oh, sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. O sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. Whatever may befall me, Lord, though dark the hour may be, in all my woes, in all my joys, though naught but grief I see, O sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. When those I loved have passed away, and I am sore distressed, O sacred heart of Jesus, I fly to thee for rest. In all my trials, great or small, my confidence shall be, unshaken as I cry, dear Lord, I place my trust in thee. This is my one sweet prayer, dear Lord, my faith, my trust, my love. But most of all, in that last hour, when death points up above, O sweet Savior, may thy face smile on my soul all free. Oh, may I cry with rapturous love, I place my trust in thee. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld of AboutEating.com. And some of you, uh, well, you're not feeding the 5,000 probably this summer, but you probably will have some people that you're going to have to prepare a lot of food for. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning. And, you know, you had um, suggested talking about this a while back, and this is the season. It is the season. You know, this and Christmas, for some reason, the hottest times of the year and the coldest time of the year is when we have the most people over, but Jesus feeds a lot of people or is at gatherings where a lot of people are served uh, actually a few times. Oh, yeah. You know, one of the most uh, recognizable is the wedding at Cana uh, when he turned water into wine. And then, of course, when he fed thousands, when he only had a few loaves of bread and, and fish. And I think what this tells and what we need to remember, too, is that Jesus was very sociable. He really cared about people. So when we have people over, I always say, hey, it's not just about the food, but who shares it with you? All right, so we're going to make uh, you know this a lot simpler for a lot of people. Of course, Jesus visits Mary and Martha and brings a crowd with him, and uh, Martha gets caught up in the situation while... Mary's at Jesus's feet, but you have some ideas to help us be more in the Mary zone than the Martha zone when it comes to having a lot of people over and trying to feed them and not being completely stressed out. So what do you got for us? Oh, yeah. Um, Good point, too, about Mary, for sure. Um, I always say plan ahead and try to be a guest at your own party, Matt. Do as much of the meal ahead of time. And this all makes sense, but sometimes when we're, we're thinking about entertaining we don't really think about these little points. Um, and what I like to do is make like what I call freezer-friendly main dishes. And then when you think of appetizers like dips, those can always be made ahead of time and just kept in the fridge. And then when you're thinking about salads and even sides, prep all those ingredients ahead of time so they can just be assembled right before your party. And then here's a big one. Set the table the night before and then pull out your serving platters and dishes And I even put little labels on them. So if somebody comes in the kitchen to help, um, instead of, you know, seeing a stack of platters or bowls, they'll know which one goes with which food. 
Well, I like all those ideas, and especially the make as much of the meal ahead of time works really well for summer because you can make a potato salad like two days before <laughs> if you need to, uh, right? And some of these other things that you can, you know, whip together uh, a few days before so that you can really focus uh, on the day of, of, you know, just kind of hanging out. You get them out of the fridge, you set them out. And I found, too, that when it comes to the summer gatherings, and I don't know what your experience is of this, if you get everything pretty much ready, uh, but you're grilling, it's okay that you're working on that while people are over, because grilling you can sort of do with people standing around you, and you can be a guest at your own party while flipping burgers. Oh, yeah, and grill, I just think that, that the grill itself just draws people to you, and it, it's a great way, as you said, just to sort of have some chat going on and, you know, just talk about the food, and, um, and then if they offer to help, heck, let them flip some of those burgers. Yeah, or you could say, hey, man, go get me a tray, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. You could involve people in the process. Although I will say this, Rita, I do have a slight hang-up. I don't cook any kind of meat on the grill when I have company over that I'm afraid that people will criticize me for because they know how to cook it better. So if it's a complicated cook, I try not to do that at a party. No kidding. I, that surprises me because you're such a creative, competent cook. So Yeah, well, I don't want to do a rib roast wrong, you know, and have somebody who knows how to do it right being like, oh, man, that guy. Well, I'm there with you. I When we grill out, especially for uh, parties, it's pretty th- simple things like a flank or a flat iron or skirt steak or burgers. You can never go wrong with burgers and, and wieners, that's for sure. And brats and all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you've got some big batch cocktail ideas, too. I mean, this is this is a way to really simplify stuff. Oh, yeah. I always say, hey, don't play bartender. Um, <clears throat> think of pitchers, punch bowls. Or, you know, those large drink dispensers for drinks. And let guests, let, let them help themselves. Just always have plenty of ice and glasses. And then I always like to have some fresh juices like orange, cranberry, grapefruit, just because some people uh, may not like beer or an alcoholic beverage. And when there's little ones, give them their glasses, but give them some stickers and um, markers to put on their glasses. That keeps them occupied, and then they don't go through ten glasses during the party. And they will. I can tell you that will. <laughs> you know this. Your grandkids, you probably have to have uh, the Sharpie out uh, and uh, and make make sure that they don't have like 12 glasses lining uh, every surface of your house. But uh, how about appetizers? Because this is where sometimes people can get really bogged down. Oh, yeah. And <clears throat> I've done that myself. Um, no, I always say no fussy finger foods. Big, large trays, just cheese and crackers, maybe some spice nuts, all do ahead. Um, and if you're going to have the raw veggie tray, that's fine, too. doesn't have to be a huge variety, a few different veggies and dips. Um, that is just plenty. Because remember, you're going to have a pretty big meal, so you don't want to you know, feed them too much ahead of time. Well, uh, slow cookers, we've talked about this before, about how much that can just save you, because you can do that first thing in the morning sometimes and then spend your stressed time cleaning the house and have that all done before people get over and... Uh, then your your food's been cooking while you've been working on other stuff. But pasta you've mentioned also as a good freezer friendly dish. Now, do you go put all the plates in the middle of the, or put all the dishes in the middle of the table and pass them around, or are you a buffet style person? I love to do buffet, and then I usually divide the table um, into two parts, like cold foods and then hot foods. And here's a tip: I, if I'm going to do bread or rolls, I always put those at the end along with the utensils. Um, because if there's no room on the plate, people, A, don't have to carry the utensils through the whole line, and the roll can just sit on top of the other food. 
pretty good stuff. And you've got, since we've talked about slow cookers here, a really easy slow cooker pork carnitas with all the fixins. That recipe is actually linked in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com, so you can head over there. Try it out yourself, and while you're there, go check out Rita's site about eating.com. Rita, thank you so much. Hope you have some good parties this summer. I will, and I hope you do too. Again, find it all linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Enter your email and get those things delivered to your inbox daily. Half past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The U.S. bishops kick off Religious Freedom Week today on this feast of Saints Thomas More and John Fisher. This week, the bishops will be highlighting issues of concern at the national, state, and even international level. They said, quote, domestically, a major area of concern continues to be freedom for Catholic institutions, such as schools, hospitals, and child welfare service providers to carry out missions with integrity. They Note in particular that the bishops are concerned about Catholic health care, with the Biden administration having proposed a cascade of changes to federal regulations over the past year that remove conscience protections from health care institutions and from individuals. The bishops are also calling attention to international religious freedom violations, most especially in Nicaragua and Nigeria. The Dicastery for the Causes of Saints has announced that Pope Francis has signed off on decrees of heroic virtue for Mother Mary Lang of Baltimore and Sister Lucia of Fatima. With the promulgation of these decrees, now they are both now declared venerable. Mother Lang founded the Oblate Sisters of Providence in Baltimore in 1829, the first U.S.-based religious order of women of color. Sister Lucia was one of the three children of Fatima, the only one who survived childhood and went on to religious life as a Carmelite. She died in 2005. The next step in both of their causes would come if and when a verifiable miracle can be attributed to their intercession, which would then lead to beatification. Hunter Biden is scheduled to appear in a Delaware courthouse next month to plead guilty to two tax misdemeanors as part of a plea agreement. Brian Shook reports. The president's son is also expected to admit to illegally possessing a gun in 2018, and that charge will likely be dismissed if he meets certain conditions. His pleas are scheduled to be entered July 26th in front of a U.S. district judge who must then approve the agreement terms. The tax charges stem from his failure to timely file and pay taxes in 2017 and 2018. Reports say prosecutors plan to recommend a sentence of probation on those counts. I'm Brian Shook. A new high number of voters say they will only support a political candidate who shares their views on abortion. A Gallup poll suggests it shows the issue's intensifying importance one year since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. This year's 28 percent is one point higher than last year, but is the most since Gallup began asking the question back in the 1990s. Another 56% of voters said abortion opinions do matter, but are only one of many factors when selecting a candidate. And the poll also saw a record low number of voters saying a candidate's position on abortion doesn't matter to them at all, only 14%. Tropical Storm Brett is taking aims at part of is taking aim at parts of the Caribbean. Forecasters say the storm strengthened slightly yesterday and is forecast to reach the Lesser Antilles today. It's likely near its peak intensity with 65 mile per hour winds. 
Brett could bring strong winds and torrential rain to places like St. Lucia and Barbados. The system is likely to dissipate over the Central Caribbean Sea by Saturday. The clock is ticking in the search for a missing sub designed to explore the wreck of the Titanic. The, circus, the search is focused on an area where Canadian aircraft recently detected underwater noises. The oxygen for this is set is forecast to run out later this morning. Regulators are approving the first lab-grown meat in the U.S. to be sold at restaurants and eventually supermarkets. Mark Mayfield reports. The Agriculture Department okayed California companies Upside Foods and Good Meat to sell chicken made from animal cells instead of slaughtered birds. The FDA approved lab-grown meat from both companies as safe for human consumption months ago. Companies have been trying to launch the new way of meat production in hopes of reducing animal harm and the environmental effects of selling meat. I'm Mark Mayfield. And the biggest medical association in the U.S., the AMA, is no longer wanting healthcare professionals to report pregnant women who abuse drugs. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, what is the sacrament of extreme unction? Extreme unction is the sacrament which, through the anointing and prayer of the priest, gives health and strength to the soul, and sometimes to the body, when we are in danger of death from sickness. Extreme unction has other names. Anointing of the sick is one that's primarily used now. The understanding is that when Jesus sent out his apostles and they went anointing, that he was giving them a command in order to bring healing of the soul through that physical means. We read, If anyone among you is sick, let him send for the priests of the church, and they shall pray over him and anoint him. And if the sick person has any sins, they will be forgiven. What a remarkable sign that the priests would come because our Lord wants to be with us, especially in our sorrowful times. Let us ask for that sacrament so that we might be able to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Machuda from Hands-On Apologetics. We've been going through his book, Revolt Against Reality. Man, we've gone through a large chunk of it and uh, are heading towards the end. Uh, And today we get to talk about radical individualism. Gary, good morning. Morning, Matt. 
So it's uh, difficult to figure out exactly how to trace individualism all the way back. I mean, we've got the Garden of Eden, and we know that man is not supposed to be alone <laughs> right from day one. <laughs> uh, but from the Reformation onward, I mean, that's one of the handy marker points, I guess you could say. It seems as though we're trying to sort of be our own thing. So, like, I mean, how do we sort of trace this through how it's kind of played out in the American context? Yeah, good question. Well, um, ultimately, you know, uh, it starts with uh, uh, this idea of nominalism, where everything is broken down to discrete individuals, that there really aren't groups, don't don't really exist, like uh, abstracts like triangularity and, and treeness and redness, things like that. And uh, so, uh, of course, Martin Luther was really well-soaked in nominalism, and uh, that's when you start having this very individualistic understanding of the faith. Ultimately, you know, in the American context is where I, I believe right around the turn of the century, um, Protestantism kind of loses its identity and becomes, uh, uh, starts taking on social aspects you know, where uh, one's no longer identified by the denomination they belong to, but rather the movement in which they support. And uh, you just continue that. And that, what that does is it, it nominalism now has entered into the secular sphere, where every, you know, uh, where we become uh, uh, radical individuals within society. And the only thing that unites us is whatever tribe, you know, if you will, you know, uh, that we support. And uh, so society has become atomized, in a sense. Yeah. Well, with that tribe thing, you know, that'd be all good and well, because there are some good things about finding a community, you know, that you can be a part of and connecting with others. The problem is, is that a lot of the movements that people latch onto as tribes last about three years, and then they shift into a whole different thing. Uh, I mean, just think about how that happens every four years in an election cycle and you know the labels that people apply and the causes that people celebrate or or even things like feminism and how first wave feminists are like at war with you know gender abolitionists now because yeah. like the tribes just evolve so quickly but you know this is also an opportunity for us to talk about how technology and specifically entertainment uh develop developments in the technology surrounding entertainment really does allow people to sort of create their own universe where they don't have to interact with another human ever. Yeah, I thought this was a, a really good, like, microcosm of what's happened in America. Because think about how uh, information was transmitted. Let's go back to the 1940s uh, when uh, it was a community event. People would go to the movie theaters. They'd see newsreels together. You'd be there with your neighbors, with your family. And then in the 1950s, we get television so you don't have to go to with the crowds. You don't have to, you know, sit shoulder to shoulder with your neighbors. You can all comfortably fit within the front room of your home and watch television. And then from that, you get uh, then you start getting pay TV and satellite cable, and it's it becomes more and more narrow until now. Uh, you have live stream. You have uh, various websites you can go to, and it's it's moved from a community uh, participation all the way down to you, you sitting alone in your room with your iPhone streaming whatever you want to watch 
and kind of cutting out anything you don't want to watch. So it, I think that's a really good picture of what has happened in America over the past 50 years. Yeah, you could find a family who could be all in the same room, but each have their own screen in front of their face, right? I mean, it's, right. it's, it's pretty wild. And, you know, it helps make sense of how we are more connected with one another, but everybody feels lonelier than ever, right? Um, yeah. So, but I find it fascinating uh, how you really culminate this uh, and, and talk about how technology has created like a, a counterfeit of the Garden of Eden because in the beginning, uh, man was alone with the animals, and it's kind of become that way in a weird and messed up way today. Yeah. Yeah. What, instead of uh, technology, remember this whole uh, part of the book is really the incarnation unites all of humanity together, and it's the, the rejection of the incarnation that we're trying to find every way in which to unite ourselves apart from Christ. And so I think the final solution that we're living in today is that technology will unite us, and instead it has made us even less connected with each other. And this has brought about an epidemic of loneliness. And uh, so, I mean, it's really a worldwide problem, especially in cultures that are the first world cultures that have this technology. It's we're all alone. It's just me, my pet, and I. Yeah. And man, as you put it again at the end of this little section, is once again alone with the animals, <laughs> except it's you. <laughs> it's you and your cats, right? I mean, Pope Francis has talked about this too. And, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that's important for us all to f- reflect upon, because, you know, we can point the finger at other people, but I think we all know that this has some kind of effect on us as individuals to some degree or another just because of the soup we live in, is, uh, you know, we don't want to sacrifice ourselves for another person, right? We want, I mean, with all these things that we can, you know, get to gratify ourselves, you know, there's not, we're not challenged to sacrifice ourselves for others the way that, you know, Adam and Eve would have been challenged to sacrifice themselves for one another because otherwise, how are they supposed to eat? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, so ultimately, you know, it's, it's brought us all the way back to the beginning. And we know that God says it's not good for man to be alone. We, we are social animals. We, uh, we need to live in community. We need to live within a family. And, uh, and a, a strange phenomenon that's been occurring, especially here in America, but around the world, is that you see lots of children toy shops closing and being replaced by pet shops. You know, we have to fill that void somehow. And, uh, yeah, ironically, we end up with just uh, ourselves and our animals, just like uh, Adam was before the creation of Eve. So the Pope got in major trouble with uh, the Internet a few years ago. I think it was uh, actually, it might have been last year, around maybe a year and a half ago or so. But Pope Francis was talking about this idea about how, hey, uh, you this is a sign that you have no hope, right? If you got... <laughs> pets instead of children it shows the world is basically telegraphing the idea that it's not really optimistic about carrying on the species uh that it doesn't really feel that great about what it means to be human and it's a denial of fatherhood or motherhood that teaches people to sacrifice i mean and and the pope's talked about this even in, in documents like laudato si i didn't realize how selfish i was until i got married i was like man i'm really selfish and then i had uh, you know, I became a father, and I'm like, whoa, I'm even more selfish than I thought I was. You know, the family unit, uh, the, a marriage, uh, being a parent, 
you know, it teaches you that you've got some selfishness you work, you need to work out. And you may not do it well, but it's at least one of the safeguards against full-on individualism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so in a sense, we want to become like God, determining for ourselves what's good and evil. And the thing is, being God is very lonely. You You and your little bubble universe determines everything, but the problem is you're alone in the bubble universe. And if you don't live in community, like you said, you know, you, you aren't aware of how selfish you are. And so things like family, things like marriage... Uh, living in a community, you know, parish, that, that could be painful. But, you know, Matt, pain is selfishness leaving the body when it comes to holiness, you know. And without those, we become narcissistic and uh, self-absorbed. Well, there you go. Although, uh, just to clarify, being God is lonely unless you're the Trinity. So yeah. uh, there you go. Yeah. That's all I got for today. <laughs> If our listeners want to connect with uh, you, Gary, and get some of your excellent resources that you've got uh, collected over at Hands-On Apologetics, how do they find you? Yeah, just go to handsonapologetics.com, or you can pick up the book at shop.catholic.com. And it's all linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks so much, Gary Machuda. Have a wonderful day. You too, man. We're back with Joseph Pierce to talk about Saints John Fisher and Thomas More on their feast day next. Stay with us. Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption. Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. The best way to practice not really being able to fully celebrate in other people's successes is to go to what you're grateful for in your own life. So when someone next to you is having a a great success, you immediately go to, Lord, I'm so grateful. I have my health. I have my husband. I'm grateful. I have a roof over my head. And all of a sudden, everything becomes just perfect. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. Hi, this is Janet Williams. There's nothing like Women of Grace to explain the truth of our faith today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Grab that cup of coffee and let's go back to the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Joseph Pierce, the author of literature, What Every Catholic Should Know. 
Uh, also, you can find them online at the Augustine Institute, at jpierce.co, and a lot of other places. Joseph, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Joseph, I wonder before you were Catholic, because Thomas More especially is such a nationally known figure, uh, if you had any respect or admiration for him, even before you became a Christian. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point, because the good thing about martyrdom, in the actual original meaning of the word as witness, is it actually transcends prejudice. So the point is, although I was anti-Catholic, and was not Christian, uh, the heroism of a man who is willing to lay down his life and sacrifice everything for his beliefs speaks loudly. And that's really why we do need the, the courage of our convictions in times of persecution, because it's a great way of evangelizing for Christ. You know, he's the one that everybody knows because of a man for all seasons and because of uh, the the huge body of work that he's left behind, St. Thomas More's writings we have to kind of get a better look at him. But John Fisher, we don't have as much from, and it's still fascinating to me, his story. And, you know, when you realize that every bishop in England was on board or capitulating to Henry VIII, except for one guy, St. John Fisher. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's all sorts of lessons we can hear, from, we can learn from St. John Fisher. One is that, yes, that unfortunately in the history of the Church, uh, courageous and holy bishops uh, are outnumbered by those that, uh, that fall short. But the thing I love about St. John Fisher is the fact he is so understated. He was an old man. He lived a very saintly life. He was very austere. He actually kept a skull in the room as a permanent memento mori of his mortality and of our common human mortality. Uh, he was an incredibly learned man and, and, and uh, was the, the, actually the, the teacher of the young Henry VIII before he became king, a uh, great friend uh, of the royal family, but never allowed any of that luxury to corrupt him. He preferred to live in a simple cell-like existence as Bishop of Rochester, with very few furnishings, very austerely, a great ascetic and a great inspiration. You know, with Thomas More and John Fisher, they're there at the birth of the Church of England, um, and they're the ones saying that there should not be a Church of England, there should be the Church in England, the Catholic Church. Um, and it's not for centuries that we get the wave of English Catholics that we we have uh, with, you know, Cardinal Newman and, you know, Ronald Knox and so many others, G.K. Chesterton, you know, it's it's fascinating to see how uh, it, it took a hundred or well, a couple hundred years for those men to the, the, it, their life to kind of bear fruit in some of the literary converts of the Oxford movement. Yeah, and it would actually take 400 years uh, um, for, for their canonization, and they weren't canonized until the last century. But I, I, I'm currently actually researching and will soon be writing uh, my next book, which is a history of Catholic England. Um, and uh, what, I, what I think St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher do, they actually lay the foundations, you know, bearing in mind that the, seed of the, mar that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, they actually feel like planted the seeds for a very, very heroic resistance. Uh, you know, we, we, we often forget that apart from St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher, there are 40 be uh, can canonized martyrs, 85 beatified martyrs, and many other martyrs have not been officially recognized by the Church, who, who, were, who were killed uh, between the, the 1530s and the 1680s merely for being Catholics, either for harboring Catholic priests or for being priests themselves. Um, that was punishable by death. 
Uh, and, you know, and then it seemed after 300 years of relentless persecution that the church had been killed, obliterated, died, but those, those seeds were dormant, and as you rightly say, with the conversion of John Henry Newman, St. John Henry Newman now in 1845, and the Catholic revival that followed that, we saw the resurrection of the faith in England. I think it's a very encouraging story, basically, that the, the Catholic Church as a whole, and the Catholic Church in specific places, such as England, is always dying, it's always being apparently killed because of periods of persecution or neglect or unbelief, and yet always rises again from the grave, as does our God. Well, I know you're, you're leading a pilgrimage to England. You're going all kinds of places. Are you going to visit any sites connected with Saints Thomas More and John Fisher? Oh, you bet. Um, we basically the, the the whole the whole theme of the pilgrimage is to follow the footsteps of the English martyrs and the great English Catholic writers. So we'll be visiting places. Uh, associated with St. Thomas More, hopefully his, his actual cell in which he was in the Tower of London. We'll certainly be visiting the Tower of London, but it's not always easy to get into the actual cell itself, but we'll be aiming to do that. Uh, and certainly the, uh, some of the other saints and martyrs and some of the great writers will be visiting places associated with Tolkien and Lewis and Shakespeare. So yes, it should be a fun trip. You've been to the Tower of London a few times? A few times. <laughs> and I, mean, I have been honoured once only before to actually be in the, uh, the cell in which St. Thomas More spent his final months. Uh, a very moving experience. That's such a a wild thing. It's hard for me to even imagine what it would be like to be, first of all, in the Tower of London at all, because there's so much history associated with it. But to be in that cell, the cell of a saint, the place where a saint was actually jailed. Um, I wonder, you know, kind of what came to your mind standing in that cell? Well, certainly a domine non sumdinius moment, you know, a Lord I am not worthy moment to, to actually be in the same place as this great saint who intellectually is my superior, and certainly in terms of his sanctity is my superior. But he's, of course, in that a great inspiration for us, even if we are less worthy to, to, to follow in the footsteps of the saints, because that's following in the footsteps of Christ. Well, I know that our listeners are going to want to know more about that pilgrimage in particular, and thank you for telling us more about Saints Thomas More and John Fisher. If we want to figure out um, more about that pilgrimage, where do we go? Pilgrimages.com forward slash Joseph Pierce. And we've got that linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. You can find Joseph Pierce and all of our guests linked there at the site, Nana Mitchell. I want to remind people that while you're there, enter your email, check the little Sunrise Morning Show box, and you can get those things that we put in the show notes delivered to you daily, including Rita Heikenfeld's carnitas recipe. So if you're looking for a good thing to throw on this weekend, nice, uh, especially maybe for Saturday, uh, which is John the Baptist's birthday, uh, you can be like, you have a John the Baptist birthday party, and instead of (laughs) serving locusts and wild honey as appetizers, you can... uh, you can skip that and just go straight to the slow-roasted carnitas. And, um, you know, not to mention celebrating the anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade on that day. Which, by the way, was uh, the Feast of the Sacred Heart as well. Yeah, last year. Yeah. That was wild. Yeah. That was wild. Celebration of the love, the fire of God's love, combined with the feast of the birth of the man who confessed Christ while he was an unborn child. There you go. I mean, it's hard you don't to, think uh, God's hand was on history? I mean, it's hard to deny that. We'll be back again tomorrow. Talk to you then. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. <laughs>